but I'm watching while I pray. No matter the attack, I won't turn back. This means This means I got Satan on my trail, but I'm singing all is well. He's attacking every day, but I'm watching while I pray. No matter the attack, I won't turn back. This means love. This means Whatever's going wrong, my war clothes are on. I might be in a daze, but you can't have my praise. No matter the attack, I won't turn back. This means
bless you, Lord. God bless you, Lord. God bless you, Lord. God bless you, Lord. Healing in the blood. Salvation in the blood. Deliverance in the blood. Whatever you need. God bless you, Lord. God bless you, Lord. God bless you, Lord. some praise on this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for these few moments, Lord, we have to be encountered by your word. Lord, allow us, our hearts, our minds, and our spirits to be open and receptive to what you have to say to us in these moments. Allow your word to push us towards your promises, Lord, to put us along the path of destiny that you've designed for us. And most of all, Lord, allow, don't allow us to leave the same way that we came. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You may be seated in the house of the Lord, amen. Indeed, we're grateful for each of you who've come to share with us this morning, those who are here in person and those who are sharing with us virtually. We're going quickly to the word of the Lord there in 2 Kings, the 19th chapter, and we'll begin looking at verse 10. Again, that's 2 Kings chapter 19, and we will start our reading and our passage at verse 10. Amen. Excited about what God wants to share with his people on this morning. And I pray that it will be a blessing to you, something that will be both a solve, both a medicine to your own soul, and something that you can share with someone else as well. The word of the Lord, we're going again, that's 2 Kings, the 19th chapter. And we are looking at, uh, at starting at verse 10. And the word of the Lord there says... You give us a moment, have a little techni technical difficulties. Amen. All right, the word of the Lord there in 2 Kings 19 and 10 says, Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. 
Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands, devoting them to destruction. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them, the nations that my fathers destroyed? Gozan, Hiron, Rezeph, and the people of Eden who were in Telassar. Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sepharvaim, the king of Hena, or the king of Iva? Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to, the mock, the God, the, to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the king of Assyria have laid waste the nations of their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. The word of the Lord is blessed. I want to talk to you for a few moments from the thought, message forwarded. Message forwarded. I want to talk to you about this because Hezekiah received some very devastating news. The news that he received was that the king of Assyria, who had been successful in destroying all the lands around Israel and all the other lands that, that not only parts of Israel, but other, the lands around Israel and all the lands that were even in their path, they had been successful in destroying those lands. And I want to give you a little concept to give you a little background story so you understand the, the width and depth of the Assyrian Empire. See, Sennacherib was the king of Assyria, but he, took, he was the son of Sargon II. He took over because his father had been assassinated. Assyria covered the modern-day regions of Turkey, Iran, Iraq, and Syria, from which Syria, Assyria, Assyria is the name is a derivation. It was centered in Iraq, both Ashur, the city from whence its basis is named, and Nineveh, its capital during that time, are in modern-day northern Iraq, just south of its border with Turkey. His name means sin has replaced my brethren, the king of Assyria. His name, Sennacherib, means sin, S-I-N, has replaced my brethren. He began his reign in about 705 B.C., about 700 years prior to Christ, and the incidents of 2 Kings 18 and 19 happened between 701 and 681 B.C., so a period of about 20 years that we're talking about this military campaign. Many details of this account were actually written by the hand of Sennacherib, which they found later from his own hand. The story begins as during the transfer of power in Assyria, many of the subordinate nations began to uh, rebel because he's taking over power from his father, which was Sargon II. Then some of the other nations said, well, since the previous king, the previous ruler is dead, this is our chance to act up. This is our chance to break away. So that they began to do that during the transfer of power from Sargon II to Sennacherib. 
So when they are transferring this power, Judah and Israel, Israel begins to make an alliance with Egypt. And because Egypt has made an alliance with Israel, then the king of Assyria was disturbed, upset. He felt that that was an act of rebellion, which it was. So he felt he needed to come back through and assert his powers as king and to assert his war powers to make sure that all of the other states, the other countries that they had conquered, remained in line. He wanted to make sure that they didn't get a big head and feel like that they could be by themselves or that they could break away from Assyria. So when during this time, when they're coming, asserting their military power, letting them know that they're still in charge, this is where we get to our story. So again, Hezekiah had formed an alliance with the king of Egypt, and his response, Sennacherib's response, was this military statement. Understand that his campaign, Sennacherib's campaign, has been an unquestioned success at this point. They haven't lost anything. They're flying through that beating, beating everybody, and, and some of them are even bowing down at their might because they're afraid of them being attacked. He's taken every nation out in his path in excess of 46 cities during this, this campaign. This campaign, as, as again, we said was about 20 years from 701 to 681 B.C., and during, this, during the recounting of this campaign, he scattered the 10 tribes of Israel in his wake, and he is largely responsible for the phrase that we call the 10 lost tribes of Israel. The reason that they are lost is because when he came in, he scattered those tribes to many other nations, and when they returned, he replaced them with other peoples. There were other peoples who came in and mixed in with the children of Israel amongst those 10 tribes. And, and to give you a little context with that, it's interesting that we remember when Jesus uh, met the Samaritan woman and when he was with the Samaritan woman. He's talking to her and he's saying, remember he, he, his, his revelatory statement, he said, you've had five husbands and the one that you're with now is not your husband. It, there, there's an analogy there because when Sennacherib came through and spread the 10 tribes of Israel, those 10 tribes on, on the northern side became what, became what we call Samaria because, those, because they were a mixed people. They weren't just the children of Israel, but during the course of Sennacherib's reign, he brought in other peoples from five other regions. So when they say five husbands, think of the five other regions that were mixed in with the 10 northern tribes of Israel, and therefore they call them the Samaritans because they were a mixed breed of people. They had mixed in with five other nations. Now, the people that they mixed in with, get this, remember this part of the story too, they worshiped different gods. They worshiped the God of the sky, the God of the mountain, the God of the river. They, they believed that different gods, little G-O-Ds, dwelled in different lands. And if you remember the story of the woman of Samaria, remember what she said. She said, we dwell, we worship God in this mountain. Because little G-O-D, she believes that there is a little God that occupies, and her people believe that there was a little God that occupied that mountain. That's because she had been... Over the course of the years, she had been indoctrinated by the people of Samaria, Samaria, and the reason that those five different nations had been mixed in starts right here in 2 Kings 19, because Sennacherib had spread the 10 tribes of Israel, the northern tribes, and he had mixed them in with five other nations who believed in different gods, and they worshiped in different places. In fact, at one point, that God had sent lions amongst the conquering people. 
And when the lions came in and started eating of the people, you know what the king said? The king said, what we need to do is worship the God of that country. The reason we're cursed is because we're not worshiping the God of that country. So you know what he did? He sent priests from captivity back to the land of Israel to teach the people how to worship that God, which we worship as the true and living God. And he said, as long as you worship that God while you're living there, then the lions will not be sent amongst your people. That's that polytheistic belief that there are several gods and that different gods reign in different areas. And that all, again, started from this campaign of Sennacherib. All right, so, um, he, so to immediately prior to our story, there is a threat that is sent by a messenger from Sennacherib. That threat you'll find in 2 Kings 18.28. We don't have that, but I'll read it to you. It says, Then the rapture stood and cried with a loud voice in the Jews' language. And spake, saying, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus saith the king, Let not Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you out of his hand. Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us, and this city will not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. Hearken not unto Hezekiah when he persuadeth you, saying, The Lord will deliver you. Have any of the gods of the other nations delivered their lands out of the hand of the king of Assyria. Hezekiah is being threatened, and not only is he being threatened, his sovereignty as a king is being threatened because he's telling the people in their own language, don't listen to your king. In fact, if you go through the story, a little, it's, it's, the story is very interesting. There, the, the men of Assyria are speaking in the language of the Jewish people. And then some of the men of the, king, uh, of the Jewish army say, no, we can understand, we understand Aramaic, speak in Aramaic, don't speak in our language so our people don't hear you. And then one of the men who was delivering the message stood up louder, stood up higher and started talking louder. He said, I want your people to hear what I'm saying. Do not allow Hezekiah to deceive you and do not believe that your God will be able to deliver you. That's how, that's how disheartened he wanted the people to feel. He wanted them to all lose heart and not even desire to fight against the Assyrians. So he called the king a liar. He declared that God was powerless and, and that the might of the Assyrian army was too much for them to overcome. And I want you to understand that each of us experiences that in our own lives because sometimes the devil tries to challenge you with something that looks so big that you don't even want to fight. And I want, you, I want you to get that in your spirit, in your heart, because every now and again, he'll, he'll challenge you with something that in your eyes, you conceive it, that it's too large, it's too much. I do not have the ability, I do not have the power, and I do not have the strength to fight that which has come against me. And so before you even start out, you're giving up. And sometimes before you start out, you have that mentality that it's too much that you've given up. And therefore, you are unsuccessful because the devil didn't defeat you in battle. He defeated you in your mind. And in your mind, you have already accepted defeat. And I, I want to challenge somebody out there who, who today you have accepted defeat in an area where God is saying all you have to do is fight. And I will give you the victory. In fact, he's saying, if you will believe, he said, not only will you win, but if you believe, he said, I'll fight for you. I wish, I wish you were with me. He said, if you believe, I'll fight for you. And the only reason that you haven't experienced victory is because you have already accepted defeat in your mind. You said it in your mind, I can't do this. 
It's too much. I, I don't have enough. I'm not enough. What the, the resources that I have are not enough. I cannot do this. And because you have accepted defeat, you forfeited the victory that Christ has already laid out before you. And that's what they were doing. This was a campaign to beat them in their minds, to beat them mentally, to beat them spiritually and emotionally. They were talking and saying words that they hoped would cause them to give up. So how many times have we done the same? Have we allowed what we've heard to cause us to give up in our minds? Some of us, some of you, some of you have defeated days at work because you're defeated before you get there. You wake up in the morning and say, ah, it's Monday. It's, it's not going to be a good day. Guess what? You've already spoken that into existence. So when you experience defeat on that day, it's because you spoke defeat into existence. You, you woke up and said, ah, Jill's going to be at work today. I'm going to have to listen to her all day. Come on. <laughs> She's going to be telling me stories I don't want to hear. And tell me about her kids again. It's going to be a long day. Come on, you know you say this. But you're speaking defeat into your own mind, into your own existence. And therefore, you experience defeat throughout the day because you have already spoken defeat into your life. Never speak defeat into your life. If you don't, if you please get that, never speak defeat into your own life. How many times are we living below and beneath what God has for us and what he desires for us because we have already spoken defeat into our lives? You wake up on Monday morning, it might be early. Instead of thinking of all the things that can go wrong, why don't you begin to challenge yourself to turn it on its head and think of all the things that can go right? Challenge yourself and, and determine in your mind, today is a good day. And I'm not going to allow anybody to deter me from having a glorious and victorious day. I have victory today. I wish you'd wake up with that in the morning. I have. I have victory. I'm not obtaining victory, but I'm declaring that right now I have victory. I wish somebody would say it right now. I have victory today. I have victory this week. I have victory on tomorrow. I'm declaring it before it even comes to pass. We have to speak those things that are not as though they were, and we have to bind some things on earth so that they'll be bound in heaven and loose some things on earth so they'll be loosed in heaven. I'm declaring right now that I have victory. I have it. I I have it. I, I have it. It, it. It's with me. It, it stays with me. And David said, I, I shall not fear even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death. He said, because goodness and mercy are following me all the days of my life. Wherever I go, I've got goodness with me. I've got mercy with me. I've got companions with me that are making sure that I'm all right. They are securing my future. They're preparing my destiny. They're working with me on my purpose so I don't have to be defeated because I already have victory. I have. I have. 
I have victory. So, so when, 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 when something comes into my life that tries to speak against that which God has already declared in my life, it's nothing but a message from the devil to distract me from God's purpose. And you have to watch out for distractions because all distractions are something that tries to keep you from keeping your eyes on what God wants you to look at. What God desires you to focus on, distractions come in many forms, and sometimes God allows people in your life, and they're serving, and I mean, the devil sends people in your life to distract you from what God desires you to do. I keep telling you, I, I, I have this position that God has told me to occupy, and the only way that I can lose my blessing is if the devil convinces me to move from my position. Uh, so so in this, if my position right here is where God told me to be, I have victory right here. I have it. Somebody say, I have victory. I have it. I have it. It's mine. It belongs to me. So what the devil is trying to do is just to get me to move from the position God told me to be. And that's what, that's, what, that's what the Assyrians are trying to do. That's what the messenger is trying to do. They, the Israel, they, they, they have victory through Jesus Christ. God has already declared they have victory. So what he's trying to do is get them to move in their hearts and in their minds from the position of victory that God has already declared that they have. Because see, the thing about, I love scripture here, because when God responds, he already tells them they have victory before it happens. They have victory before it happens. In, in, this, in this particular passage, if, if you go back to 2 Kings 19, 6 and 7, it says Isaiah responds to what he's heard. And he says, thus saith the Lord, be not afraid of the words which thou has heard. I wish I need y'all to just I need a T-shirt that says that. <laughs> Be not afraid of the words which thou hast heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. They lying to you. They're lying and saying you don't have victory because I'm telling you you have victory. He said, behold, I will send a blast upon him. Don't you blast him. God's got it. I will send a blast upon him, and he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land. And I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. God's saying, stay where you are. Trust where I've told you to be. Trust the position that I've told you to occupy. And, say, and he's saying, if you do that, I've got this. I'll take care of this. I'll handle this. But you know what happens if we get nervous, then we try and handle it. We get nervous. And they'll, oh, you ain't got this. God's not, God's not going to protect you. God, God, God you, don't, you, you better figure this out. And then you try and figure stuff out. And you know what you do when you try and figure stuff out? You move. God told you to be here. Now you moved. And you're busy trying to take care of stuff that God already has. But I want to speak to somebody who's tired right now. Maybe you're tired and maybe you're exhausted because you're busy trying to take care of stuff that God says I already have handled. I already got this. I have handled this. I've already told you I've got it. What are you worried about? And the thing about it is, and this is why this is the question, this is really the thought that I want you to take care of, that, that I want you to think on, that I, that I want you to stay with you this week. How do I respond when I face something that's bigger than me? 
How do I respond when I face something that's bigger than me? How do I respond? And I can give you a clue, that, which is a key to the resolution, to the problem, to the question that I've just posed to you. I, I'll pose it in a manner in which you might understand. Have you ever been on a job and somebody asked you something or told you about a problem and you realize the problem which should be assigned to somebody who makes more money than you. And you've said these, this, you've said this phrase right here, that's above my pay grade. <laughs> Come on now. That's above my pay grade. They don't, what you really saying, this is what you really say. They don't pay me enough money. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> to handle this problem. That's above my pay grade. And you know what? When you say that, you know what you, ha- you do after you say that? I want you to think about it. After you say that, you know what? You stop worrying about it. You don't even think about it again. Come on, think about it. Think, think about it. That's above my pay grade. You go on. <laughs> you don't even think about it again. That problem is so big that it won't be assigned to me. It'll be assigned to somebody who's above me. Y'all gonna get it in a minute. I, I remember I was, uh, I, I, I was at a school and I was at the, the reason I was, I was doing car duty at the end of the day and I constantly did car duty for the main purposes. I had a few students who if I didn't see them get in their car and leave the school premises, they might get in trouble before they left. So I would stand there with them, and I was in car line, and it just became a daily thing that I was doing car duty at the end of the day. I was with the assistant principal. One of the funniest stories that, that, that I've ever seen, uh, that I've ever heard, I was with the assistant principal. He had two radios. One radio was the internal radio for the school system, for, for that particular school. The other radio was what we call the bus radio. And on the bus radio, you heard all the transmissions between the bus drivers. On this particular day, the bus, bus radio was busy. A lot of people were saying things. And on this day, it, right at the end of car duty, the last student had already left, and I was just out there kind of talking to him. And we were chatting. And then right as I was about to leave, a transmission came over the radio, his bus radio. And it was a bus driver. And the bus driver said, hey, y'all, I'm coming back to the school. I'm dropping off all these kids. And y'all can have this job. And I heard that's what happened. I heard she came by. She dropped off all the kids. The bus garage was behind the school. She went and got, took the bus to the bus garage, got in her happy car and left and never came back. That's what I, that's what I heard happen. And the reason I say I heard that happen is as soon as I heard that, I patted him on the back. I said, that's above my pay grade. I'm about to go. <laughs> That didn't have anything, <laughs> had nothing to do with me. I didn't worry about it. I came back the next day and I said, how'd that work out? <laughs> but, but I didn't worry about it. I wasn't concerned because the problem that large was assigned to someone who made more money than me and I, I didn't bother with it. I wish we would do the same thing. I wish we would do the same thing with God. 
There are certain problems that might come in your life that you need to recognize. This problem is too big for me to handle by myself. If it's this big, it wasn't assigned for just me. This problem must belong to God. Belongs to God. It doesn't belong to me. I, I, I don't need to try and tackle it. I don't need to worry about it. I don't need to lose sleep. I don't need to wake up in the middle of the night. I don't need to cry about it. I don't need to attempt to lose my mind worrying and fiddling with the problem that's too large for me. This problem was assigned to God. And that's why the songwriter says that problem that I had. Couldn't seem to solve. I prayed and prayed, but got too deep involved. But I turned it over to Jesus. And guess what? I stopped worrying about it. Stop worrying about it. I stopped worrying. Now, now Hezekiah took him a moment to get there, but that's exactly what happened in this text. When we look in the, in the, in the, in the text, he says the content of the letter tells Hezekiah that don't be fooled by what he says. Do not let the gods in whom you trust believe that you shall be delivered. Hezekiah reads this in verse 14 and says, Lord, this, is, this letter is not for me. This letter is for you. It doesn't belong to me. And, and, and sometimes our problem is we take ownership of stuff that don't belong to us. We, we allow things to worry us that are not intended to weigh on our conscience. Some things you immediately pass over to the Lord. I wish, I wish you were here with me. I, 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 it came in my direction, but, but it's my responsibility to turn this situation over to God. Reminds me, I think I've shared it before. They, they used to do it. I don't know if they still do it, but the, the teacher would pass out this worksheet, and it had a bunch of directions on the top, about two paragraphs worth of directions. And then it had all these problems that were very difficult and very tedious to solve. And then you would see the classroom. Some people would immediately turn their paper in, and the others are like, how did they turn it in so fast because these problems are difficult? Some people would work to the end on all those difficult, tedious problems. They were workable, but they just took a long time to finish. And then at the end, they're like, they're sweating. They're, they're trying to figure out how everybody, how these other people turn theirs in so fast. And then they turn in all that work that the, that the worksheet asked for and that the problems seemed to, to meet out. And then the teacher said, this was an assignment about instructions. And if you read the instructions, the instructions said, put your name on the paper and immediately turn it back in to the teacher. And see, some of us with God, I wish you get this. There are things that, that, that have come in our directions, but God's instruction to you is I need you to immediately turn that situation. Back over to me. It does, you don't need to work on it. You don't need to be frustrated by it. You don't need to lose sleep. Oh, baby, let me give you this. It might frustrate some. You don't even need to pray about it. I need you to give it to me. Because some of us are so busy praying. You praying, but you haven't given it to him. You need to give it to God. Because what I'm talking about, when you transmit it, when you transfer something to God, just like when you say it's above my pay grade, you don't worry about it. Because that's God. That belongs to God. He is going to handle that. 
I'm trusting that God is going to handle it. And you, when you turn it over to him, you need to trust him as much as you trust UPS and FedEx. You turn your, your valuable package over to them, and you trust that they're going to deliver it. You trust that they're going to handle it. And the same thing with God when we turn it over to him. We have to trust that God's got this. Somebody say, that God's got this. God's got this. Because there is no mail that is going to be delivered as long as your hand is still on it. You can't go to the post office and hold on to it because they're not going to deliver you and the package. <laughs> Come on. One of you is getting delivered. All right? Come on now. But that's how we do it, God. God, I want you to take care of this, but you're still holding it. And sometimes you're not holding it with your hand. You're holding it with your mind. Because it's still occupying the same amount of time as it did when you said you were going to give it to him. So if I'm handing it to him, I'm giving it to him, I don't wake up the next morning and worry about it. I don't have stress in my body. Some of you are stressing yourself out over things you shouldn't even be concerned about. I don't have stress in my body over this situation because I've completely turned it over to him. Hezekiah, when he got the letter, he, it says he immediately took the letter, went to the altar and laid it out and stretched it out before God. Because after he read it, he said, reading it has made it clear to me that this is not about me. This is for you. God is, often, God is insulted in the letter. In the letter, he's telling them that God does not have enough power to deliver him. But Hezekiah has enough trust to give it over to him. And guess what he does after he gives it over to him? This is how it lets me know that Hezekiah really released it. Because as soon as he gave it over to the Lord, he started praising God. And that, that, that's what should immediately succeed you turning something over to God. After you turn it over, your heart is light, your spirit is ready to give God some praise. And, and, I, and, and he, had, he had bought that, I, that idea, that concept, I don't have to wait. It has not been resolved. It has not been solved. But I don't have to wait until the battle is over. I can praise and shout and give God glory right now because I know he's going to handle it. I, I, I know. It says in verse 15, it says he begins to praise him. He, he begins to tell, thou art God, even thou, God alone, though, over the kingdoms of the earth. Thou hast made the heaven and the earth. He begins to praise God because he believes and he trusts that God is going to handle it. So sometimes in a matter, the, the, the thing that distinguishes you turning something over and you still holding it on to it is praise. Uh, because once I release it, I, can, I have to have my hands open to praise. My, my praise is an indication to God that I have let go of what I get. I wish you would get that right there. My praise, my open hand, my lifted hand is an indication that I have released totally that which I have given to God. God, my hands are not on it. My mind's not open. My spirit's not on it. But I'm releasing it to you and I'm praising you right now for what you're going to do. I, I'm giving you glory and praise in advance for that which I know 
you're going to handle. Somebody say it again. Say, God's got this. Now I want you to think for a moment for something that you know that you've been holding on to in your mind, in your heart. It might be a financial situation. It might be a health situation. I want you to lift both of those hands up. I want you to lift an open hand because you're releasing it and you're giving it over completely and totally to God. And I want you to say at the top of your lungs, God's got this. God, oh, I don't have time to worry about it because I'm spending that time praising him for, for that which I know that he has already, uh, he's already done it. I, I'm praising you, God. I, I'm not concerned about it. I, I'm not I'm praising you, God, because I'm believing by faith that you have already done it. My God has got this. God's got it. God's got it. Somebody say God's got it. And the scripture says that that night, after Hezekiah turned it over to God, Pray to the Lord. It said God sent an angel amongst the armies of Assyria. And it said that angel killed 185,000 soldiers. Died that night at the hand of the angel. Because while the angel was moving, I believe that Hezekiah was still in his chamber. He wasn't praying over it, but he was praising God and believing that by faith that God and say God's got this it said a soldiers died. It said the king of Assyria woke up the next day and when he looked around his whole army was dead. It said he ran back to Nineveh. He ran back to his own house and then he tried to go into the chamber to praise his own little God. His little G-O-D. And it said while he was thanking his God, his little G-O-D, it said his two sons rose up and killed him in the chamber. If he had a real God, it wouldn't have let him die while he was trying to Hezekiah's God to deliver him from an army of 185,000 to deliver him from the king of Assyria and the very night that he turned it over to the Lord God gave him the victory I came to tell somebody today that when you pray when you turn it over when you give God praise for what he's about to do my God will move immediately my God can move at that moment my God can say 185,000 in one night because your prayer moves God your faith moves God and more than that your praise moves God I dare somebody right now to open your mouth to lift up your hands and give God some praise Lord I'm praising you I need you to move I need you to take over the problem's too big for me but Lord I'm trusting you to take over I'm trusting you to take over I can't do it by myself but I serve a big God and my God is able I said my God is able my God is able 
from Jesus Elisha said that in my word there'll be no rain these years then he prayed to God if I am your prophet if I'm your prophet Lord you're going to establish that which I have spoken because I belong to you remember Jesus even before he, he brought Lazarus from the dead Jesus Jesus is God. Remember, Jesus is part of God. Why did Jesus have to pray? But Jesus was showing us something. At the grave of Lazarus, before he spoke his name, Jesus prayed. He said, Lord, so that they'll know. Lord, so that they'll know that I am your son. That, I, that we have power as, as, as your son to over power over death and the grave. He was invoking God into his situation. And I, I challenged somebody to do that. Lord if, Lord, if I'm following your path, Lord, if I'm your servant, Lord, if I'm your child, move in this financial situation. Lord, if I'm your child, move in my health situation. Lord, if I'm your child, Lord, move in my relationship. Lord, if I belong to you, Lord, move on my child. Bring them closer to you if I'm your child, if I belong to you. I'm calling you in to this situation. I, I, I'm calling it, and, and not only am I going to call it, Lord, I'm going to do like Hezekiah. I'm just going to turn it over to you. This problem is bigger than I am. This problem is above my pay grade. Lord, I'm giving it to you. I'm opening my hands to release it in praise, and I'm going to praise God that it's already done. <laughs> Lift those hands one more time and say, it's already done. It's all. God's got this. I'm believing by faith that it's already done. Put those hands together and give God some praise for his word. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Comes to remind us, Lord, about the importance of our relationship, Lord. That we are relying upon you, Lord, that we cannot do this by ourselves. 
but you intentionally sometimes allow things into our lives to challenge us, to remind us as a test to see whether or not we will, like Hezekiah, immediately turn that situation over to you. And right now, Lord, all of us are encountering situations that are above our pay grade, problems that are bigger than ourselves. And Lord, right now by faith, right now by faith, Lord, we are turning those situations over to you. And Lord, as a signal and a sign to you that we have released it, as a sign to you that we have faith and that we trust you with it. We're opening our hands, we're lifting our arms, and we're giving you the praise right now in the name of Jesus. And we're believing by faith that our God has got this. Come on, put those hands together and give God some praise. For those of you who've been watching us virtually, we praise God that you will continue to live by faith until we shall see you again. I hope and pray that each of you were touched and inspired by our service today. If you wish to partner with us, you can do so by Giveify. Download the app on Apple Store or Google Play and search for Bright Temple. If you wish to partner with us on Cash App, just look for Bright Temple in the two line. And in the four line, tell us the purpose of your gift. If you would rather mail your gift, you can mail us at Bright Temple, Post Office Box 453, Shelbyville, Tennessee, 37162. Thanks in advance for your generosity, and we pray God's blessings on you and your gift.